Hi, I'm Leola. I'm a sacred intimacy mentor and muse and the host of this podcast. Talk Tantra to Me introduces a playful perspective on sacred sexuality. My intention in this podcast is to integrate intimacy and spirituality, empowering you to reclaim your eroticism. It is my mission to inspire you to let go of shame, fear, and limiting beliefs to be present as your highest self in every moment. Thanks so much for tuning in. Now, let's talk Tantra. Welcome to Talk Tantra to Me. It is such an honor to be holding space for this divine knowledge to make its way into your ears and lifestyle. Today, I talk Tantra with a dear friend, Paige. She is an artist and spiritual YouTuber. I met Paige earlier this year in Ecuador while we were on a Tantra yoga and shamanism training. I am so grateful to have had her come into my life. And I'm also so appreciative that she is so vulnerably and authentically sharing her story um, because I believe that this is uh, all too common of a um, experience that we are having in the spiritual community and in the Tantra community. And it's something that I've uh, experienced as well that I'll be sharing in another episode. But thank you so much for being here, Paige. I'd love for you to share a little bit more about yourself and, and what you're doing and who you are. Thanks for having me, Leola. Uh, so like Leola said, my name is Paige. I'm an artist and I create spiritual portraits of people and moments. I also have a YouTube channel where I go into patterns I'm noticing in my life and in the lives of those around me and diving into more of a quantum perspective, looking at shedding the story and more at how is the energy moving and how can we work with this? Like Leola said, we met at a yoga tantra training in Ecuador, and that was the beginning of about a year-long exploration for me. And it was um, it was then that I encountered the experience we'll be going into in a little bit. Um, but before we dive into that, yeah, I am an artist and a spiritual YouTuber, and just a guide for my community and really focusing on anchoring the light in a way that is authentic and vulnerable and real. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. I have to say, so I met Paige again on this retreat. And when I first met her, she has such a beautiful energy that is so, so raw, but also so confident and uh, almost intimidating. I have to say, I was a bit intimidated when I first met Paige because of her strength, which is such a testament when we're talking about this topic, because it, this hap- these sorts of things happen to everyone, even people that are very strong, because we are so conditioned to um, not know how to touch in with what's happening in a moment and also how to communicate, you know, our boundaries. And we're also, you know, in a space where we're giving up a lot of our power often, uh, which is definitely a theme of this podcast is, you know, reclaiming that power. And it was a big part of my journey to see that we often are, you know, giving our power away to gurus. That being said, um, Paige is an incredible artist who's so intuitive, so beautiful. She's painted me now twice. Um, and she also creates these incredible, 
incredible pieces where she'll tap in with you, even do a meditation with you and kind of see what imagery or visions or, you know, elements come through and incorporate that into this gorgeous work of art. So I definitely recommend reaching out to her if you're, if you're looking for any, you know, spiritual, intuitive, artistic expression, because she is amazing with that sort of element of our um, beings. So Paige, I'd love to hear more about kind of how your experience was at Durga's. Durga's Tiger School is the Tantra school that we both went to. Um, I spent a month there. I think Paige, you spent like three months there. Uh, I'd love to hear more about what your experience was overall in that space. My experience at Durga's was very, very transformative. Like, um, like Leola said, I'm a very strong person. And when I came to Durga's, it was very like, like I am like so strong and like no one will ever like, you know, having that external shield up to protect me. It was a very much more like rugged type of strength. And Durgas taught me the power of like softness and vulnerability. Like that being said, I've always been very, very open, but I haven't always been very vulnerable with people like um like very much crying behind closed doors and you know maybe you would hear me say like yeah that upset me um and that's that's all I wouldn't really share what my internal or intimate experience was and Durgas really taught me how powerful that is and and how transformative it can be when we just really open up and express what's going on within us, whether it's through movement, whether it's through song, through ritual, through um, tantric communication exercises, whatever we're using when we just really open ourselves and pour ourselves into the moment without these filters of like, is this okay? Is this enough? Like, am I enough? And just softening into it and relaxing into the moment. Like, it can offer medicine, not only for you, but for whoever you're interacting with. And like, I just think of dancing with you as one of my favorite memories when we were doing the Durga's tiger dance and, and just like flowing and moving and just having that pure eye contact. Beautiful. Um, Yeah. Yeah, definitely one of my favorite memories as well. And I I do think it's so important to honor the Durga's experience to say that sort of the, the sequence of events that we'll discuss are obviously directly re- related to Durga's, but at the same time, there was so much depth and beauty and learning and growth that was offered for both of us at Durga's. And my experience, like the things that I learned were completely different than yours. Like mine were actually a lot more related to my inner masculine, a lot more about creating space and, you know, boundaries and, you know, other work that is, that is different. And so it's one of those places that you go with this like beautiful soul that you are. And then you have, you find all of these places to expand upon yourself and it's different for everyone. And I'm so grateful for the people that, you know, we both met there and the community, and it will always be one of my most treasured and expansive experiences that I've had in the spiritual community. 
Um, and if anyone is interested in going, I highly recommend it. That being said, you know, there is also this element of touching in with your own discernment and your own inner truth. And I do love that this is something that our teachers taught us was, I remember Rosa saying, you know, I have my inner truth and you have yours. And the beauty of Tantra is that you get to discover your own and also respect everyone else for having theirs. And, um, and I think in, in some ways that was super profound and something that is deeply related to the topic that we're going to discuss today. Um, and, and so I'd love to get into kind of what was the offering after Durga's and, and kind of what was your experience, experience with that? Yeah, my experience with the Durga's program was absolutely beautiful. Um, and, but unfortunately it was like through Durga's that I found myself sexually assaulted by a shaman. Um, and this, I don't believe that this is the fault of Durgas at all, but the way that it was handled after left a lot of space um, that could have been filled with compassion and aftercare and support. And I found very lacking in that. And so, you know, that being said, like being, how can I expand to be big enough to embrace that this same space had such polar experiences for me? Um, and to, to really not just focus on one or just the other, like it was all light or it was all darkness and really to embrace both. Um, so I went to Durgis because a close friend of mine in Minneapolis got her training there. And, um, during quarantine, her and I would meet and do some private yoga sessions. And this is my first experience with Kaula Tantra and with Tantra in general, actually. And, um, and it just was like opening and softening me. And this person was an embodiment of an energy. I really was really hoping to bring into my own expression. And so I looked into Durgas and actually like nine days before I went, I just sent it and was originally going to do 200 hours. And then I think I was there for like three days when I talked to Rosa and I said, I want to stay for 500. Like I need to be here. So I was there for uh, about three months immersed in this program. And afterwards, it was offered for the students to come on a ayahuasca retreat into the jungle in northern Ecuador. One of the teachers and actually the son of the woman who runs, um, Durgas, has been training with the shaman for 10 years and I think over 10 years, actually. And so they were hosting their second ever retreat at this place. So um, this wasn't an ayahuasca retreat center, which is what most people encounter. This is a village uh, where there is a shaman who regularly offers healings. And he typically only does either private healings for people who are really sick or very large community healing for like hundreds of people at a time so it's pretty um it's pretty uncommon for westerners to come into the setting first of all and it was um it was the second time that they had westerners there and while i was there the shaman um crossed a very firm line and sexually assaulted me 
while I was under the influence of ayahuasca. Thank you for, for sharing this whole lead up in the background of kind of this experience. Um, it's one of those things that it is so beautiful and it, it was kind of marketed this marketed as this incredible opportunity to go into this indigenous community and truly honor the medicine in a specific way, which is, you know, in, in my belief, definitely a way that it, it should be done. Um, you know, and this was also, you know, an offering an opportunity that I had, but, you know, just by series of events, I had actually decided not to do it. Um, and it, I'm sure it can be super confusing and complex to break down like that thought cycle and, and, you know, the experiences that had happened in that space. Um, if you're comfortable, I'd love to hear more about what was like the sequence of events, like when you're going into ayahuasca, like, was there, you know, a lot of integration before and what was the experience while you were on the medicine in that space? So we would, the first night, so we had two ceremonies and the first night we had a intention setting and we all met and drummed together. And this was very beautiful and was really coming together. And then after each ceremony, we had like a group sharing context. So there was some support. Um, and one thing that was really beautiful is that every single person that was on this retreat minus, minus one, I think there was only one person there that hadn't been part of the Durgas family. So everyone there either previously been to Durgas or most of us had just graduated together. So there was really this sense of community that I was really grateful for in that sense. Um, the first night we had the drum ceremony and did our intention setting. And then we waited for the sun to go down and we all took our space. And then we drank the ayahuasca and this ceremony was done in complete silence. Um, the shaman didn't speak any English and there wasn't a translator available. So I believe this was a really big part of why this happened and why boundaries were crossed because there was just a complete lack of communication between you and the shaman unless you were fluent in Spanish and only one of the women there was fluent in Spanish and ironically she's the only one who didn't have some sort of boundary crossed during the ceremony. Yeah was there any communication beforehand about like what was going to happen in the context because um, I'd love for you to share this in your own words, but from what we've spoken about, you were like kind of separated individually. And so there was a lot of like, not even knowing what was going to happen. What, from your words, was there, could you just expand on that maybe so that people understand like the context of what, how this could possibly happen in a group setting? Yeah. I'm going to wait for these sirens to pass. <laughs> um, so during the ceremony, we are sitting in silence. And at this point, it's more of a group setting. You're in your own mosquito net, um, but you're all together. And so in this setting, it would be pretty impossible for the sexual assault to happen. And it would be like super obvious and I'm sure would arouse people to be like, let's stop this. Um, but what happens is around halfway through the night, you have Olympia. And I had had one previous experience with ayahuasca before, 
um, where we had the Olympia. And so I was comfortable with this and we were, it was described to us again, but most of us had had this experience where you go up and the shaman sits you down one-to-one, you sit down and the shaman is behind you with feathers, smoke, and then they chant and they cleanse your energy. And um, it's actually according to my first experience was like one of the most beautiful parts, because while you're in this heightened state, you're receiving a clearing. And so you can just feel the sound vibrations going through. You can feel um, the smoke and just everything just truly getting to the core and cleansing you. Um, But this is where you are one-on-one with the shaman secluded. Everyone else is in a heightened uh, DMT ayahuasca trip. And so you are just kind of with the shaman alone. And this was when, uh, the shaman crossed the line and, um, and sexually assaulted me. Um, and actually, unfortunately it was not just me. Almost every single woman there was touched inappropriately without consent and beyond the borders of what is acceptable. So in my first experience and what was explained to us was that it is best if we remove our shirts, it's not necessary, but that it helps with the energy cleansing process and that only your back will be cleansed. Sometimes maybe the side of your ribs, but that is as far, it's still your back and it's only your back. And uh, that is not what happened. So with every woman on the first night, he cleansed the back like it was explained to us that he would be doing. And then he reached around to the pelvic area uh, and was doing this grabbing motion, like pulling energy away. And at first, when it was just on the hips, this actually felt kind of nice because we keep a lot of a lot of stuff in our hips. So it was like, okay. And my experience was that this was like a line gradually moving into a point that it was so not okay. Like, how do you, it's hard to put a boundary up in general. I find like, it's not something we're taught very well in our society and especially in a heightened state. Um, So he would reach around and grab on the hips and then he would just go lower and lower. And the first night he didn't like necessarily touch anyone's vagina, but he was getting very close and he was really entering a vulnerable space that should not have been touched. And then afterwards he like had the women lay back in his, so if he was behind me, like laying back in his knees and then was like grabbing our chest. And again, like the breasts weren't touched, but this was not explained to us. This would be happening. And it's like, that's a very intimate touch. And he was, I mean, you're, you're very high, um, and have, I mean, you're very high on DMT. And, and so you're kind of like, just like draped over him and he's just touching you. And, um, and so that first night that made me feel really uncomfortable. And some of us, um, well, actually the first night we didn't have a group discussion about it. Um, my sister was there with me. And so her and I talked privately and she asked me like, did he touch, you know, almost the top of your vagina and your chest? And I was like, yeah, he did. It was really weird. Wasn't it? And she said, yeah, that was really weird. And two of the older women that were in the program, um, they had 
a, a private conversation. So there wasn't a group conversation happening at this point. I think it was just maybe one or two people meeting and talking. It felt like that was kind of weird. I don't know how I felt about that. Maybe, you know, but maybe we do have some trauma there. So it needed to be cleared. Okay. I guess I feel a little bit better knowing it wasn't just me, but also that's uncomfortable. Um, and so two of the older women met and talked and they actually chose to, to sit out of the second ceremony because they felt so uncomfortable because of this. Um, and I think that with their wisdom and just their perspective, they were able to like see what was going on and had the willpower to just be like, no, and to set that boundary and to step away. And, um, yeah, but I went for the second ceremony as did everyone else, except for these two women. And the second night, um, I think, I don't think I know he went much farther. Um, so again, we consume the medicine, we go through the ceremony and about halfway through the night, he begins to call people up for Olympias and it's not person by person. It's just, you just kind of feel like, oh, it's my time to go up. And, and if there's people in line, then you just wait. And so one by one, you go into this Olympia setting and so you're again, sitting in front of the shaman taking your shirt off or not. Um, and, and this time the shaman reached all the way down and touched my entire vagina, not just the top of it, not even just my clit. Like he did not go inside of me, but he was stroking my vagina over and over. And I just remember I mean, again, I was in such an altered state. I remember just laying there and being like, this feels really weird. Like, I don't, I don't feel like this is right. Um, and then he pulled me back and, and was touching like very close to my nipple, like just very grabbing onto the breasts, cleaning the chest. Um, and then what was really striking because all of this is like unacceptable um, but was within this like Olympia setting, um, this, which Olympia means cleansing to cleaning in, in Spanish. So it's a cleaning. Um, but then when I went and asked him for my second cup of ayahuasca, he pulled my dress up and stuck his hand under my dress and like cupped my vagina and started to stroke it again. And then just had this really like gross mischievous smile like <laughs> and then was like okay and handed me my cup and then I just felt paralyzed like wow like whoa like that was not okay because in my state I'm thinking like that didn't feel okay for him to touch me like that in the Olympia but okay I'm not quite sure what's going on but in that moment it was very clear like wow that was like, that was him taking advantage of the fact that I'm in an altered state and that he's in power and that he can literally just lift my dress up and touch my vagina, which like in any other setting, you would be punched in the face. Like it would just be not acceptable. So the next morning, um, we all met and talked 
and uh, the older women actually organized like the women talking together um, because they were realizing that so many women had been touched. Um, from what I understand, I was the only person whose boundary was crossed this far, but so many of the women had him going farther and farther down their vagina and even touching their clit. Um, and then some of them said no, and we're, we're coherent enough and, um, like in communication up with their boundaries to, to be able to voice that. And so it didn't move farther with some people. Um, and what's just really so appalling about it to me is like, he didn't even remember who I was. Like we had a, like he didn't even remember that he had done this or even recognize like this is a person that I was just grabbing. Like we had this uh, meeting that two of the older women organized because one of them speaks fluent Spanish with all the women who had been touched and the shaman. And they were express like helping us, you know, express how we felt about it to ask questions. And I, I asked him, why did you touch my vagina? Um, why did you feel that was okay? And, and why did you do this? Because I came to you for healing and that didn't feel healing. And, and he didn't even look at me or respond to me. He just said, there were two women that had a lot of dense energy so I touched them more and every time that we would inquire like why are you doing this this is not okay um this is not acceptable he would answer like one time a woman came to me from Colombia with breast cancer and needed her breasts cleansed during Olympia so now I cleanse every woman's breast or like one time a woman had cancer of the vagina. So now I heal all vaginas. Which is just like, okay, that logic is super faulty and does not hold up. And, and then we spoke with, there was a couple of men in the ceremony. And not one of the men had anything but their back touched. They did not have the sides of their ribs, their hips. They were not leaned over, over his, uh, over his lap and cleansed on the chest, only the women. And to say this was an energetic thing is so false because one of the men shared with me an intimate conversation. Like I've actually had like a lot of sexual trauma and like, like really like need a lot of cleansing in that area. And he didn't even come close to that area he only touched my back beautiful thank you for sharing all of that with so much truth and detail and making it something that we can talk about in a space that is sacred because I think that this is happening so much more than what we realize. And it's important for us to come forward to say like, Hey, this is not okay. Even though, you know, I'm putting myself in a vulnerable, vulnerable position. I am doing this in the context of 
healing and in the context of being guided into this sacred container. And it's not okay to take advantage of this, especially in an altered state such as ayahuasca. And I think that this sort of thing is keeping so many people from like going to Tantra and going towards plant medicine because these things offer so much profound healing and growth. But unfortunately, there's also this really dark side to it, especially when it comes to these altered states. Have you, have you done, I, or did you, have you had had an experience with ayahuasca before, or I'd love to hear like more about like the plant medicine that you've experienced and like how transformative that is to just kind of say that like the medicine is not the problem. It's these people. And it's the way that we're approaching healing. Yeah, I had had one experience with ayahuasca prior to this journey and it took some time to to disentangle the trauma from the healing that the medicine did offer and I actually went into a, a later ceremony with someone who I had a conversation with, had vetted and felt very safe with in order to reconnect with the the lessons and the blessings that were given to me by grandmother Aya because she is so potent and so beautiful and truly cleansing um and yet to your point it's very important not to confuse uh what's happening with these shamans abusing their power with the gift of the plant medicine because the plant medicine can offer you decades of of therapeutic healing if you allow it it's truly like quantum device that can help you collapse these old patterns that have been in in place for a while. Um, During my first ceremony, I felt this awakened sense of trust. I had a communication with my higher self where um, it was so beautiful. Like I saw just this array of beautiful like colors and starting to come through my field And then I was looking at my hand and I saw this like little hummingbird come to drink the nectar from me. Like I was a flower. And then I felt this, like I felt this team of ancestors around me and they came and put a blindfold over me and they said, okay, you are not going to have any more visions during this experience because we want you to go deeper somatically. We don't want you to be distracted, but we will take this off. And it was like, we want you to learn how to walk blindfolded and to, um, to enhance your, your other senses. And that gave me full chills. That was beautiful. Oh, it was amazing because the rest of my journey was really taking me somatically into my body and showing me like the places I was holding tension and what I was storing there and then helping me breathe and release it. And, um, you know, ayahuasca can make you very nauseous because it's a purging medicine. And so it was showing me how to use these waves um, to render more fully and to really let go. And, um, and this lesson continued into my, my next two experiences where I was shown like how to surrender into being uncomfortable Um, And how to, again, like work somatically with the body and to let go and, and to see uh, specifically, I was having flashbacks to some other traumatic um, or just some other events that created negative behavior patterns for me or in the long term, like maladaptive behavior patterns. And it was showing me how to like welcome and love and embrace 
the, the person who went through that, you know, that child, that teenager, that adult. And like, it really felt, it felt so real. Like I felt like I was holding myself in my arms and being like, it's okay. And feeling all of those patterns dropping away and learning how to just go into it and further and further connecting with that sense of power that can come when you relax into yourself. Beautiful. Were the, was this medicine experience before or after your initial or the, or the one with the shaman that uh, assaulted you? My first experience was they were all during the same trip in Ecuador, but my first experience occurred in a setting outside of my sexual trauma. And my first experience was very safe, um, very, a very safe container. I, I had Olympia and I, you know, it was one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had. Like I literally felt these amazing feathers, like beating smoke on my back. And I just, I don't think there are words to describe it, but it was absolutely magnificent. And I truly felt cleansed to my core. And it wasn't even specific things that were being let go of in this Olympia. It was just the energy moving and it was so magnificent which is why it's like, I just feel so, so many emotions, but just like so mournful that I didn't get to have that beautiful experience again, because it was truly like one of my favorite parts of the ayahuasca my first time. And then, you know, my favorite part, the first time ended up being the gateway for being sexually assaulted in my later experiences. And this is why it is so important to take medicine with a trusted individual who is in a place of sovereignty and not in a place of, you know, on an ego trip with their power, using it to get what they want. How would you suggest like finding those safe spaces to partake then in that case? Uh, well, in my first case, I was able to have interactions with the shaman who was going to be giving me the medicine for quite some time before I received it. And so this is one way is, you know, um, is to just to meet the shaman and to use your intuitive powers. But, but, you know, that's not necessarily like a super vetted way because, I did meet this other shaman who ended up sexually assaulting me before and didn't, I felt looking back, I did feel like a little bit like, Oh, but not, there wasn't any major red flags. Um, but I asked my friend, um, who had also been to South America and done, uh, ayahuasca, you know, is this how, did you hear about women being sexually assaulted? And she said, yes, it's very common. And so what she did is actually found a retreat where they have a woman shaman at every ceremony. So even if the ceremony is not being led by a woman, there is a woman shaman present who is engaged with the process. Um, So this is a really big way. There are actually, because it is such a, a widespread problem right now there are actually retreat centers that are opening up in response to this that have specifically only women shamans or only um you know only like very trusted individuals there there are supervisors present 
to make sure that no one's boundaries are crossed. There's extensive communication, like trauma-informed counselors, um, so much more offered to ensure a safe and comfortable experience. Um, so that's one way is to go and, and to just do research. Because for me, I was just offered this opportunity and I really didn't look anything into it at all. I just, I just knew that I had wanted to do ayahuasca and here was this opportunity. And so, yeah, okay, cool. I'm going. And, um, and I wanted to, cause I wanted to do it again and I wanted to do it in that tribal setting because my first setting was not in immersed in the jungle in a, in a native tribes, um, hut, which was a really cool experience to see the different way that life is done and to interact with these souls. Um, another way is to ensure that you are able to communicate with the shaman. And that was, I think, one of the biggest gateways that opened the abuse of the women's bodies to the shaman was that uh, we couldn't communicate to him. And so he felt he could do whatever he wanted. And this was one thing he actually said in his, you know, when we were having this conversation with him is um, like, why wouldn't, why didn't you ask before, if you really felt it was necessary to heal someone's um, private and sacred genitalia, why didn't you ask? And he said, oh, well, they don't speak Spanish. If I always ask the Spanish women, every other woman who comes to me, that I heal, I ask, um, but they don't speak Spanish. So I didn't ask. Yeah. Um, so like if there's a translator available, then, I mean, that allows the shaman, if they really do feel they need to touch you to ask and to get your consent in that moment, which they don't, you can clean energy without touching a part. Um, like that's pretty, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like you can you can clean something without grabbing it. Um, and also, if you there's a translator available, if the shaman doesn't speak your native language, then you're able to to voice like maybe a little more clearly what you need, what you want, what you feel comfortable with. Yeah. Beautiful. I love you. I love, I love that you shared all of that information. I do think it's really important to touch in on this idea that like, even when you have the green light, you feel like, because like, oh, well, I trust Durga's tiger school. So I'm going to trust everything in association association with that. Like, unfortunately, like that's just not going to cut it. Like, and I know for myself, from my experience, like the practitioner that I worked with, it was under, under a different setting. And I'll share more about that again in a future episode, but this person had, you know, Yelp reviews that were all amazing. And like, you know, but all it takes is like for them to turn one time, um, for that to unfortunately like dissipate all of those, those beautiful and good things. Um, and so it is so important to touch in with, touch in with yourself. And I know for myself, what I've learned is I'm not going to work in a space or get nude with someone, regardless of the type of healing, um, unless I've worked with them at least once in a non-charged setting or in a not like in a more, um, equitable space that is not eroticized in any way, shape or form or nude or anything like that, just so that I can like really feel into like, is this really what I want to invest in? Um, 
And I think that that goes along with this idea that you had of like taking the time to like actually get to know the shaman that you're working with um, and to have other people present as well uh, is also, I think, you know, super, super important, especially in a space where you are going into going into an altered state. So thank you for sharing that piece as well. I think another piece that could really help is to have knowing that going into a ceremony, you could possibly be touched inappropriately to be sexually assaulted, to be fondled. If you know this is a possibility to take some time with yourself and, um, and to communicate with yourself, what are my boundaries? What am I okay with? What am I not okay with? And to be prepared for what might happen and how you will respond to create a plan. Like if this happens, like, where is my line? Like, if my line is an inch below my hips, then, and I make this plan when I'm sober, then when I'm in an altered state, I can say, whoa, I'm being touched an inch below my hips. And I can just stand up because I don't need to speak the language to stop the Olympia. I can just stand up and walk back to my space and know that, that I am safe because there, it's highly unlikely that shaman is then going to like follow you, grab you. That's it's typically not this like violent mm-hmm. act, more of this, subtle crossing of boundaries. And, you know, this is something we actually talked about in Durga's Tiger School was when your boundaries aren't so well established within yourself and they keep getting moved an inch this way, an inch this way. Oh, is this okay? So then, you know, if you have had this prior conversation with yourself, where are my boundaries? How am I going to respond if this is crossed? And, um, and how am I going to go about this beforehand when you find yourself in this situation? It's a lot easier to stand firm in those versus being in an altered state of consciousness, whether you're altered through pleasure in a tantra ritual or through plant medicine, um, because in both cases you have either dopamine or DMT or you know, just so much energy running through you and and you're not super, you're not in your cognitive thinking mind. You're in a completely different state of consciousness. And so to be in this different state of consciousness and then trying to have that conversation with within a second in the moment, what's okay, what's not okay. Um, for some people they're able to do that, but for a lot of us, that's that's a really difficult thing to do. And it's not until after the fact that you really realize um like, wow, that was not okay. Like for me, I didn't realize until after, you know, after like, especially the next day, just how much had been crossed. Like in the moment after I'd been touched, I was like, okay, that felt a little weird. Mm -hmm. I don't, okay. And then just the next day I was like, oh my gosh, I feel super gross. And it actually took me a couple of months to really like, integrate what had happened and to really, to really see like, wow, that was assault and that was not okay. Yeah. I definitely resonate with that for me. It also with this specific assault that I had with my shaman, it took me months to realize it to the point that I actually used I didn't, I didn't even want to own the fact that it happened to me because there's so much shame around sexual assault that for me, like I didn't want to be a victim. So instead I actually befriended my perpetrator as a way of pushing myself away from being the victim. I don't know if that resonates with you with this experience or with others. 
Yeah, I really resonate with that, what you shared, the way that we cope with something to help integrate with the story of what happened and the reality of what happened. Um, it It's so much, like you want to move into denial. Like for me, I was told um, by one of the people leading the retreat that, okay, this is just because cultural differences um, they're a polyamorous society, so and it's really common for women to seduce shamans. So you were probably you probably looked at him in the wrong way and gave him the cue. And because you're a Western woman, that obviously you're a sexual woman and you're sexualized. So yes, you gave him the green light, and that was all on you. And actually, like that wasn't assault at all. And so because I was so much not wanting to, um, to, to be in the reality where I'd been assaulted. I was like, yeah, okay. Like that sounds good. Um, yep. And so I really grabbed onto that and, and then it, it was, you know, took months of disentangling and being like, is that true? Did you send the signals? Does the fact that I sent the signals, like make it okay that he did that in the first place? you know? Um, and for you, like, okay, this person crossed your boundary. And, and so then instead of just being like, oh my gosh, I am in the trauma of a situation where my boundaries are crossed instead shifting that into a more comfortable experience by being like, oh no, this is just a different level of intimacy. And I'm going to get to know this person and, and to evolve this relationship so that it's not just this traumatic event that I found myself coping with, like it, it shifts it somehow. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we have these ways of rationalizing so that we don't have to come to terms with like what's actually happening. And I even think we can step back into the space of like being in the space of being assaulted. What, like what, what comes to me is like the freeze response. I know that this is my response, not just with like physical assault, but just in general, when I feel like someone's coming at me with a, with a more yang or aggressive energy, um, I tend when I'm not like warmed up into that space, like my response is to freeze. And I think that when we're in the, the freeze, essentially the freeze response, the purpose of it is to say like, oh, if I tried to run or fight your body, your body is saying, if I try to run and fight, run or fight, I have a lower chance of surviving this experience. Whereas if you're just like, well, I'm just going to freeze and then I'm going to, my body will survive it. So you freeze, but that doesn't take into account all of the like trauma that has occurred based on that experience. And going back to kind of being in the energy of having someone like subtly crossing your boundaries. And I think especially as women, like we're taught to just like accept things and to not say no. And like it's to me, the Michi movement is equal parts like men not being taught how to ask for consent and women also like not knowing how to say no, not being taught how to say no or how to stand up for themselves. Like we're we're living in a society where women have unfortunately been treated as a lesser class for, you know, thousands of years. And we're still, regardless of like the progress that has been made in the last hundred years, like we're still breaking down the epigenetics of the feminine experience. And I'd love it. If you have anything you'd like to add on that, I, I would love to hear it as well. 
I love that you brought up the epigenetics because even if the society has shifted, it's still in our DNA and we still have that trauma in our blood and in our genes and in our larger, like Jungian, like collective unconscious psyche, like it's still thriving there. And it's, and so like, and not even just in our blood from past centuries, but you know, if you've had past traumas, um, in your lifetime, like these imprints, um, can like further reinforce that freeze response because, what happens if I have had a previous sexual trauma and then I find myself in another situation where I'm being um, traumatized and my body goes into that freeze response. Now I am like having flashbacks to my first experience while in this experience, while feeling frozen in it, it becomes this very complex, multi-layered experience that is very difficult to heal from and can be even more paralyzing because you're not just in this moment, you're in this moment and in every other moment where your boundaries have been crossed. And every time your boundaries are crossed, my experience has been that they become a little bit weaker um, unless I actively work on strengthening them. But when my boundaries are crossed, you know, I feel like, was there something wrong with me? I don't know. Did I do something to make this happen? I start to get into this mindset of like the victim blaming, like, like, what did I do? And, um, why didn't you just stand up? Like, why didn't you just walk away? Like, why didn't you recognize, like, why didn't you even, you didn't even recognize like what was happening in the moment to be able to stop it. Like, I remember one of the other women sharing, yeah, he started to touch me and, you know, I was like, no, get off of me. And and so then he continued the Olympia and didn't touch me sexually the rest of the time. And I, and, and I didn't even share my experience in this moment because I felt like so shameful that I didn't have that response. Um, and then that made me so much more likely to want to grasp onto the story that was offered me like that. It was my fault and that nothing wrong actually happened because Mm -hmm. that is somehow easier to integrate than the, than the shame I feel at my lack of response. Yeah. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable about that part of your story, because I know that like I, I've had several experiences of experiences of sexual assault, even outside of the shaman experience. And in every single one of them, like I blamed myself and I froze. And when we start to see this as like a legitimate response that is based on like our conditioning, then we can see like that actually isn't authentic to me, but I also see it as a part of me. And I'm grateful that like my body wanted to survive this, but how do I, you know, come to terms with this and how do I heal from this and choose a different response, you know, in the future. And I'd love to chat a little bit more. Do you you have a little bit more time? I know that we're going a little bit. Yeah. I just want to say a little something on what you just said. Uh, so, you know, we, it is a legitimate response and what we have to realize to freeze is a legitimate response. And what we have to realize is that it's only recently that rape isn't a super violent experience for women all the time, because so much has happened to empower 
women and in this movement of empowering the feminine and to rid the shackles of the suppression from the patriarchy. And we have so far to go, but it's written in our blood, in our bones, in our epigenetics, like you said, that, you know, women have had for thousands of years, the experience that if I am being raped, typically it's a man holding me down and he will kill me if I do something. And that's not to say that this experience doesn't happen now because there are many people who unfortunately have this experience. But what it does mean is that in a setting where there is possibly not as much of a threat of physical imminent danger, like if I had stood up from the shaman, he wasn't going to stab me like that. That wasn't really in the realm of possibility. Uh, but my body doesn't know that because if this happened 2000 years ago, that's probably what would have happened. And, and my body doesn't know that. And so, like you said, you're like, it's like your body's reacting based on that collective knowledge and not based on just what's right here right now, which is that, oh yeah, I could just walk away. But my body doesn't know that my body is thinking like, if I walk away, I'm going to get murdered. So I'm just going to lay here. Yeah, absolutely. And one of one of the beautiful conversations I remember having at Durga's with um, Hector, one of the teachers was talking about how when something happens to us or we're observing the world, it actually, the experience hits our consciousness, um, essentially like a few nanoseconds. It hits your reptilian brain, which is the oldest part of your brain. It hits that first before it comes into the cognitive thinking parts of our brain, which are the more recently developed ones. So obviously our body is going to react based on the first thought, which comes from the, you know, more older like survival space rather than the logical thinking space, which might say, Oh, like, fuck, I'm in danger. And I have the opportunity to go with my natural response, which is to freeze, to try to respond. Or I could look at the space around me and say, Oh, actually I have these other options as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So Thank you for sharing that and expanding on that as well. Um, I'd love to get into just a couple more things before we wrap this up. And one of those is this idea of like sexualizing and being sexualized. And especially like you being the only one that had this like specifically like more intense experience. And it's something that I resonate with so deeply. And, you know, and I think that this even goes back to our experience at Durga's like being young, beautiful, vibrant women who generally really own our sexuality um, and are really open to exploring it within safe containers. And because we don't really even know what safe containers are, especially when we're first getting into this world, um, that can create a, a, a more an openness that's more easily preyed upon, I suppose. And um what this also brings to mind is so at Durga's love the experience overall, but at, it, it's interesting to me, the dichotomy of like the experience at the school and then the experience in this like tribal setting, taking ayahuasca in that, you know, Durga's was very much like it's a tantra school, but there wasn't a ton of like tantric embodiment work that was based on like fully accepting our bodies in and nudity and expressing our sexuality in healthy ways. In fact, to me, it felt more like suppress your sexuality so that you don't distract other people. 
Um, and to me, I felt very triggered by that specific element of Durga's while I still respected that that was the highest truth of the teachers that we were working with. I felt that like, cool, if people are triggered by my sexuality and then that's an opportunity for them to, you know, go within and I'm not even my sexuality because it would even be things like don't wear yoga clothes that are like tight or like what anyone in LA would wear to like a yoga class. Like we were encouraged not to wear those things, not because my intention in wearing the garment is sexual, but because someone else might sexualize me. And so I need to protect them. And I don't know if you have anything that you'd like to add on that topic, but I think that that is one of the greatest flaws in this world is this idea that like, Oh, like, don't like keep your body and keep everything hidden to avoid triggering someone else. Whereas I see this triggering as an opportunity for them to look within. Yeah. There's a lot of currents going on in what you just brought up. The first of which is like, I believe at Durgas, there was so many different schools all merged into one thing. So it wasn't just a Tantra school. So we had Kundalini instructors there. And Kundalini is very much cover your body, like from head to toe, all white. And that was one of the instructors that I had the same experience. Like you're too sexy is in my final exam. And I was wearing a a shirt where my nipples were able to be visible. And, um, I mean, I was still clothed, but it wasn't enough. And that was commented upon, like, this is unacceptable. Can I just stop one? It wasn't like your shirt was see-through either. It was like, if it was cold, your nipple might show. Like, it wasn't like yeah. she was like showing up with like areola out. It was like any, any yoga bra, like if it doesn't have padding, is going to show that. And like, that's normal. Just wanted yeah. to be clear. So people understood, like, it wasn't like you were walking in naked. It was like a no. typical yoga shirt. Like it wasn't anything outside of the box of like, again, a normal yoga studio. Yeah. So I think that there was like that element is because there, it's not just only people that are in this Tantra. It wasn't just a Tantra school. It was like, there was this Kundalini, which they have a different perspective on sexuality. We're also in like a really conservative country in Ecuador. And I think that was a big part of it. Like I know when we did our Temescal, um, they were like, you can be naked in the Temescal, but you must enter into the Temescal wearing clothing because if our neighbors see you, like it's like, they're like really bothered by it and like really worked up. And um, like the fire tender was a local Ecuadorian. And like, because Ecuador was taken, um, was part of the Spanish inquisition and had the colonization. Like they have a lot of these like old world, like Catholic views that are like surprisingly in contrast with the shamanistic culture, which is like, doesn't have the shame of the body. Um, so I think there's a lot of those currents that were going on specifically in this event, but one, but what you brought up in this context was saying that women who are like really vibrant and really open often have their boundaries crossed a lot more, um, because people perceive them like, oh, it's okay for me to go and explore my boundary with this person. And I a hundred percent feel that is true. Like even, um, even as recently, like as later in my travels in Ecuador, like encountered a person who I was, I was sharing my experience with at Durgas and just talking with them about it. It was super nourishing. And then like, they went to cross one of my boundaries and I was in a much more coherent state. And so I was able to be like, yo, this is not okay. And he, his response was, oh, but you're, 
you're a tantra girl like you how he like got mad at me because oh you're from this school of being that is sexual in nature and has a sexual current so like why can't I just cross all of your boundaries and he was like used and angry about that and and that sentiment's like pretty prevalent like the people who are open it's like oh you're open okay well let me just do whatever yeah um, and i think that that goes to say like be open like be open with your body like allow yourself to explore the depths of presence and pleasure but the more that you do that we live in a world of duality and dichotomy so the more that you open yourself the also you have to have just as strong boundaries and to be very clear with those which is something that we discussed earlier and i know for myself that i have not always been there and it's been a journey you know as i said jurgas was actually one of the the places that i actually was able to integrate those a lot more um and so i'm really grateful for that um and and it, it's still you know something that I'm, that I'm constantly working on with my relationship with myself and with my partner and also with the people that I work with. So just being aware of that space and also recognizing that Tantra is not inherently sexual and nude bodies are not inherently sexual. And, you know, why are we sexualizing these things without having the full awareness? And I think that this is just an invitation to educate yourself on, you know, these topics and then also to just touch in with your highest truth. Definitely. Yeah. Our bodies aren't inherently sexual, but they've been sexualized and likewise with these practices and boundaries. Like that was a big thing for me in my journey in Ecuador was like really showing me how much I really needed to go within and to establish my boundaries and to have that communication like, just like I talked about earlier saying that can be really good preparation for going into a ceremonial setting, knowing that, you know, this abuse of women in a ceremonial setting is very, very prevalent and it needs to be known just how prevalent it is. In mm-hmm. fact, it's so that every person I told that was from South America, um, that I told about my experience, their response was, it it actually wasn't even super compassionate. It wasn't like, Oh my gosh, I'm sorry, this happened to you. Like, do you need something? You know, I would share like this happened to me. I had a shaman sexually assault me and their response would be, yeah, that's really common. That happens a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they've been desensitized to it. Um, And so we need to know just how common this is and, you know, to establish in preparation, if we're going to go into these settings, um, that this is a possibility and to be prepared for this possibility and to have firm boundaries and to know that even if we do all this research, it could possibly still happen. And not even just in plant medicine ceremonies, which apart from the, the, um, the abuse of power by shamans, I do highly recommend plant medicine. It's been transformational. But like in Tantra settings and in other ceremony settings, even in just like gurus, like yoga gurus, um, outside of altered states of consciousness, outside of engaging in ceremony, like yoga teachers are known to um, to sexually assault um, gurus, like not even just yoga teachers, but gurus in many traditions. Um, there have been so many 
so many accounts that have come out of these like really renowned, like well-known gurus um, who have taken advantage of women. And it doesn't come out until they realize that there's been 10, 20, 50 plus women who've had this experience. Um, Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for really hammering in on that, that like, that's why this conversation is so important. I'm so happy that you're here to chat about this because it is one of those things that we don't want it to take, you know, 40 women being assaulted before someone gets caught. And you're right. There are some of the most renowned yoga schools in India, um, have in Tantra schools have been having the same issues. And again, it's important to recognize that Tantra has also been formed or has evolved under the guise of patriarchy, which inherently includes really unfair power dynamics. So just being aware of that, again, comes back to this idea of empower yourself, touch in with yourself, get all of the information, being aware of your boundaries and be able, be able to stick up for your boundaries if you're going to put yourself in those situations. Um, and also be prepared to be challenged in those ways too, uh, because people will try Try to manipulate the way that you're thinking about it and say that, oh, well, you were coming on to me, et cetera. And it's important to really zero in on the fact that like, that doesn't matter. Like, it's not okay. Like you are the person in power and you are the person holding space. And this is what is required of someone that, that is doing that. So I would really love to just like hammer that in as kind of our last, our last point. Um, I'm not sure if there's anything else you'd like to add on that piece. I would love if you would do an episode in the future on boundaries and on the ways we can clarify and cultivate these because personally, like I was shown through my experiences, just how malleable I have allowed my boundaries to become. And it's, it's kind of a, it's a little overwhelming to think like, how do I even begin to take a mental inventory of what are my boundaries and, mm-hmm. and how can I what are some exercises where I can begin to practice them? Like I remember uh, Swan doing uh, a fellow, another uh, like tantric student. Um, Swan did the exercise with no and yes, where we would go around and um, just practice saying no and practice saying yes and practice, you know, maybe wanting to connect, but still saying no. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. I also wanted to touch in on another great story of um, kind of how this space is like being brought, like the light is shining on this sexual assault in the spiritual world. Um, I don't know if anyone follows Lila Martin. She's got a great story of her experience in um, Thailand, I believe it was with like one of the most renowned, uh, Tantra schools there. So there's, you know, space as well, if you'd like further information on this, but to address the topic of boundaries as a podcast episode, I love this. And I think that it would also be really good to do even a workshop or something. Um, I am going to highlight a couple of episodes for people that are interested in, in a little bit more what I have discussed on this topic and kind of healing in this space. So episode three of this podcast is a meditation to release sexual shame and trauma. It's a really good space if you have been assaulted or if you have you felt like your boundaries have been caught crossed in any respect um this is a great healing place to start um i also have one that is about 
conscious communication and radical honesty. Let me see if I can find it. Yeah. Conscious communication, radical honesty. It's, it's episode 21. And this one is really going to be about how you communicate your needs, preferences, and boundaries. Also getting in touch with your highest truth, which is where you know, you're probably going to find some of your boundaries. Um, and then the highest truth throat chakra meditation is also uh, a really good one. Episode 23 to touch in with that about communicating these, these boundaries. And then sexual shadow work is episode 25, which is also breaking down, um, our sexual shadow, which is where a lot of how it's, it's breaking down how a lot of these traumas and conditionings are actually affecting how we're showing up intimately, both with ourselves and in our relationships and in healing settings. So those would be some good places to start. Um, if people are interested in diving deep deeper in that. I don't know if you have any other pieces that you'd like to offer in terms of integration. That sounds beautiful. Um, the way that I've been integrating this experience is to just allow and not judge myself for it. Like mm. so the suffering has been trying to get into this critical space. Like how did I get into this setting? Um, which is a good thing to look at how did it happen because then you can help prevent it in the future to an extent though, because then when you start to ruminate on it and to obsess, it can become a very negative cycle. And so when I've noticed myself in that, I've just really been anchoring into embracing like, this is my reality. This is my truth. And this is okay. And just doing my best to breathe love and compassion into my experience and and to not identify with it so much. Like this is an experience that I had, but I am not this experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's so beautiful. And I'm totally in resonance with that to see that this was an experience of your human, but your soul transcends this experience and also this, you know, a lifetime in this reality. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you again, Paige, for joining me today. And I also want to express my gratitude to the listeners. Thank you once more for opening yourself up to the idea of sacred sexuality with so much gratitude and love. Have a sexy and spiritual day. And I'll catch you next week on Talk Taunter to Me. Ta-ta.